Morning is taken from uh, Acts chapter 4, and I'm reading from verse 1, Acts chapter 4, and reading from verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you continue to speak to us from your word. And we pray that this morning that that might be true. That as we look into your word, that you might open our hearts. That you might open our eyes that you might reveal new things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Over the last few uh, Sunday mornings, we've been uh, working our way slowly through the uh, the early chapters of the book of Acts. We, uh, we began looking at uh, 
the uh, ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus uh, told the disciples uh, that he was going to leave them and that he commissioned them to be uh, witnesses uh, throughout Jerusalem, Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then we're looking at Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the disciples and they were able to speak in in strange tongues and able to speak in in languages that people were able to understand and Peter uh, preached uh, following that and uh, 3,000 people uh, gave their lives to Jesus. And then we looked at uh, at the beginning of the formation of the church at the end of Acts chapter 2 uh, where the church started to take shape and started to organize themselves and we looked at how they prioritized uh, the preaching of the word and the prayer and the fellowship and the looking after uh, one another. And then, uh, and last week we were looking at the uh, at Acts chapter 3 where Peter and John were going to the temple and uh, how they saw this uh, lame man and uh, he asked them for some money and uh, rather than giving them money, Peter replied, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I have in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And they healed uh, the lame man. And there was that wonderful moment at the end of the service where, uh, stay with me for a long time, where the music group just broke out into spontaneous song. And people started dancing around the, the, the church. It was, it was amazing. Uh, what a great moment that was. <laughs> but that was last week. Uh, who knows what's going to happen this week? Uh, because this week we're, uh, we're continuing to look at uh, uh, the early chapters of Acts and we're moving into uh, Acts chapter 4 and uh, staying with the, uh, with the lame kind of theme I'm, I'm calling this, uh, this talk Lame Excuses and uh, the first lame excuse I'd like to tell you about is uh, a lame excuse for persecution a lame excuse for persecution. Sometimes we kind of romanticise, don't we, uh, the picture of the early church because uh, there were so many spectacular and amazing things that happened. Uh, they saw amazing miracles. They saw huge growth. We talked about 3,000 people uh, coming to faith in the end of Acts chapter 2. In this uh, passage it talks about uh, the number of believers growing to 5,000 people. And we think, hey, this is absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. Wouldn't it have been great to experience and something like that. Uh, but sometimes we don't always pay as much attention to the persecution that the early church experienced. And uh, of course it starts here in, uh, in Acts chapter 4. Uh, Peter's been uh, preaching once again about after the healing of the lame man. He's explaining to people uh, what's happened and he preaches about uh, the fact that Jesus uh, this man's been healed by the name of Jesus and he's talking about the resurrection and uh, they are arrested and uh, thrown into prison I ought to mention I didn't actually mention did I? I said that I had something in common with these and that these people had all been in prison I perhaps ought to, to point out that uh, I've been in prison a, a few times uh, but visiting people or, or doing things with uh, prison chaplains, I thought I ought to just make that straight, just in case you, uh, you thought I'd been in prison for other uh, reasons. But just clarify that. Um, but uh, Peter and John were seized. Uh, they seized Peter and John because it was evening, and they put them in jail. Um, they were uh, persecuted for their faith. And, of course... Um, 
this was the start of persecution that still continues today. I was, uh, I was looking at this month's uh, Christianity magazine and there's, uh, there's two articles that caught my attention. Uh, one is entitled, Christians in North Korea face torture and public executions. And it talks about the system of, of labour clowns. Uh, and reportedly uh, 6,000 Christians are, are being held uh, in prison in North Korea. Apparently it's the most dangerous place in the world uh, to be a Christian today. Uh, and uh, there are a number of areas in, in the world where, where people are still being imprisoned for their faith. And uh, this idea um, that following Jesus... Uh, leads to all good things and, uh, and, and gets rid of all our problems. Of course, uh, we don't find that message within Scripture. We see right at the beginning of the church uh, that the church was under persecution. And the reason why uh, these uh, Peter and John were being persecuted uh, was that they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Of course, uh, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and uh, they didn't like the fact that these people were preaching uh, about Jesus, uh, who they thought they got rid of uh, when they crucified Jesus. And they were prisoned for the preaching. It's interesting, isn't it, to think, we don't think of, of preaching as being a, a very dangerous occupation these days, do we? Uh, perhaps some of you would like to see me in prison for some of my sermons. Uh, but the reality is, uh, the most dangerous thing that's going to happen when you're preaching is somebody might... Uh, take umbrage or, or not like what you say or not agree with what you say um, but uh, I've never been uh, really uh, felt under any, any threat uh, when I was preaching um, but there is something about the gospel that is uh, offensive isn't there there is a, an offensiveness to the gospel and uh, the, the Sadducees and the, the temple guard and the priests uh, were disturbed by what Peter and John were teaching about Jesus. So much so uh, that they imprisoned them. Uh, a lame excuse for persecution, we might think. Um, but this is where the persecution began. The persecuted church is also where the church began. The church began in persecution. And it's interesting that uh, when we look around the world in that, uh, in that article about uh, uh, North Korea, uh, it goes on to say that uh, despite the risk and danger and the opposition, there is a growing underground church movement of an estimated 400,000 believers uh, in the church in North Korea. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, people that have lived in, in, in places where it isn't quite as free to be um, uh, a Christian. I went to, uh, to Russia uh, when I was at Spurgeon's College, uh, just after the fall of communism. And when I was at college, we had a Russian student with us. And of course, uh, Russia uh, was one of those places where it was a very dangerous place to be a Christian. And we went to Russia just after the fall of communism. And the first Baptist church uh, in Moscow had just planted 20 churches. Uh, one year after the fall of communism, uh, the church was growing and expanding at a, a fascinating and an unbelievable rate. And there seems to be something about um, the persecuted church that brings growth. 
that actually uh, doesn't put believers off but encourages believers and that seems to be a pattern and uh, although none of us would I'm sure would want to be uh, in that situation uh, there does seem to be something in the way that God moves uh, amongst the persecuted church and this is where the church began in persecution Uh, a lame excuse for persecution we might think preaching a sermon and uh, the second thing I want to talk about is uh, a lame excuse for proclamation. Uh, the reason why uh, Peter was preaching was because he was, he'd just healed this lame beggar outside the temple gates. And this was the reason, the excuse for him uh, proclaiming the gospel. He was using this op- opportunity uh, to speak about Jesus. Um, and he uh, proclaims to all those who are there. Peter is more interested in proclaiming than complaining. I guess one of the things that, that we would do uh, if, if people started to persecute us, one of the first things we might do is complain. Uh, sometimes people complain to me about the way that Christians are treated in the press. And uh, it's not really surprising we're not going to get a good press, are we? Uh, again, in that uh, Christianity magazine, uh, Lord Carey talks about the fact that he believes that, that Christians are going to become more and more uh, under um, persecution within this uh, land. He can see it happening. It's happening in, in small areas and we perhaps don't feel it, but he can see that uh, in the future we might become uh, more persecuted than we are now. Uh, but Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't complain. Um, He doesn't complain about spending a night in prison. Um, He takes the opportunity to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Uh, He uses the excuse of of healing the lame beggar, the excuse of being uh, in prison, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It says then, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he goes on to speak about the name of Jesus the very reason why he was arrested in the first place, uh, he's going to continue to speak about Jesus. And of course, uh, Jesus himself um, had predicted that this would happen. In Luke, uh, Luke in his gospel says this, when you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Notice Jesus says, when you are brought before. It doesn't say if. He says, when you are. Jesus told the disciples that following him was going to lead to persecution, possible arrest, and even death. And he says, when you are brought before the synagogue, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. And we read that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks to them. Jesus' words once again coming true, that the Holy Spirit will give us the words. Uh, uh, we are to say. All of us have been in situation, I'm sure, haven't we? Uh, When we've suddenly been presented with an opportunity and maybe we we haven't uh, had the words to say and we've gone away and we think we've missed an opportunity. You know, we have to ask the Holy Spirit uh, to give us the words to say because very often we're caught off guard when people ask us something and uh, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will provide. Uh, the words for us to speak. And so let's not miss opportunities. Uh, We see here the example of Peter 
uh, using this op- uh, opportunity uh, to speak about the gospel. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved, Peter said. And uh, if you think about that, um, you know, it could be quite an offensive thing to say in our day and age. In this, in this day and age of political correctness, uh, we are still called to proclaim that same gospel. There is no other name by which people can be saved. It won't be a popular message. It doesn't sound a very inclusive message. And some people might want to stop us preaching that message. But this is the message that the church has preached for over 2,000 years. That there isn't any other name. There isn't anybody else that we can go to. There isn't any other route to salvation except through the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter proclaimed. He boldly proclaimed it in front of people that had the power to throw him into prison. People that had the power over life and death. And yet Peter stands and he proclaims the gospel. Why? Because he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he can do nothing else. So it's a lame excuse for proclamation. And then thirdly, it's a lame excuse for prohibition. Prohibition. I wanted to say um, prohibitation. But I, don't, I found that wasn't such a word. And, and sometimes I do make up words. But uh, prohibition... Uh, I think it means the same thing. Um, but I don't know, we, we could make up a new word. Because they were trying to prohibit them uh, from preaching the gospel. They were trying to prohibit them from preaching the gospel. They were telling them to be quiet about Jesus. They were telling them to be quiet about Jesus. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in his name. It's interesting, throughout history, people have been trying to stop Christians speaking about Jesus. From right at the beginning of the church, people didn't like the idea that people were speaking about Jesus. But they couldn't do it. And it's interesting to look at um, uh, what they notice about the disciples. Uh, They saw the courage of Peter and John. They recognised the courage of Peter and John. They recognise that they're being very courageous. These are the people that are accusing them. These are the people that are trying to stop them speaking about Jesus. But they recognise in these people three things. They recognise the courage. Uh, They recognise that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. I wonder how many of us feel uh, ill-equipped to speak about Jesus. Or we don't really know enough. We're frightened in case uh, we're going to be caught out about what we do or don't know about the Bible. These were unschooled people, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they also took note that these men had been with Jesus. They took note that these were people that had been with Jesus. I wonder whether people recognise us as people that have been with Jesus. Uh, Paul, uh, the apostle, says, I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Um, The more we get to know Jesus, 
the more we can become like Jesus and the more people will recognize that, hey, those are those people that have been with Jesus. I wonder whether in our daily life, whether the fact that we've spent Sunday morning thinking about Jesus, talking about Jesus, hearing about Jesus, whether that affects the way that we live. Whether people accuse us. You know, there's that poster, isn't there? You know, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? Would there be enough evidence in our lives to find us guilty of being associated with Jesus? It's so strange, isn't it? You know, to be associated with Jesus in in Peter and and John's day uh, was seen as a dangerous, uh, divisive thing that could end end up in prison. Uh, To be associated with Jesus in our days is, is, is seen as... As, as very lame, isn't it? Is seen as uh, something and nothing. And uh, it seems to me that we've lost something of that radical nature of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to follow Jesus. They took note that these men had been with Jesus and they could see something within them. They were astonished at the way these people s- spoke. They were astonished at the boldness that they were able to stand before them and proclaim without any fear of what these people could do to them. Fear stops us doing so many things, doesn't it? Fear very often is the thing that stops us speaking to people about Jesus. We're frightened not of imprisonment or we're frightened of being ridiculed, aren't we? We're frightened that people might laugh or that people might take no notice or that people might think we're a bit soft fear can stop us from speaking about Jesus. It didn't stop Peter and John. Uh, And uh, even though they said that they wanted them to stop speaking, uh, Peter responds for, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help it. We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. These people have been with Jesus. They've seen what Jesus had done. And now they were experiencing for themselves that they were also starting to do the sort of things that Jesus had been doing. And they could not help themselves but speak about Jesus. I wonder whether we can say that for ourselves. I just can't help it. Uh, You know, I'm in a conversation and I've got to bring Jesus into the conversation. Sadly, it's probably not the case. These men, remember, were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was all, they were so filled that it was spilling out everywhere. And they couldn't help themselves but speak about what they'd seen and what they had heard. This was the difference that Jesus was making in their lives. They were so confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they boldly proclaimed, even though their very lives were under threat that Jesus was alive, that he'd risen from the dead, and that it was by his name that they'd been able to heal this lame man in his power. Oh, that the church could recapture something of that boldness, something of that courage, something of that ability to not be able to help yourselves. I just can't help it. Uh, But speak about Jesus because he's made such an impact, such a difference in my life. Next week as we have uh, the baptismal service, we will hear something of the stories 
of those baptismal candidates as they speak about the difference that Jesus has made in their lives. And we need to hear more. We need to be a people that are telling our stories about the difference that Jesus has made. We need to be like Peter and John who say, we can't help ourselves. We've just, I've just got to tell you this. I can't, I can't stop myself. It's so good. It isn't notice that Jesus takes away all their problems. These people have been imprisoned because of their faith. They will go on to be martyred because of their faith. Jesus doesn't promise his followers an easy life. And when we face difficulties and when we face struggles, the promise is that that Jesus will be with us. That he will give us the Holy Spirit to give us the words to speak. He'll give us the comfort of other disciples and followers. But he won't necessarily always take away the persecution. There is a cost. There is a cost even today. If we speak out about Jesus, there will be a cost. It may be that we're ridiculed. It may be that we're not taken serious. It may be that we're thought less of because we are identifying with the name of Jesus Christ. People are still offended. You bring Jesus into the conversation and people won't like it. They won't like it. For some reason... Very often people are offended. And that was Peter's and John's experience. When they spoke about Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified and died and and resurrected, they were thrown into prison. But they still boldly proclaimed. So, uh, a lame excuse for persecution, a lame excuse for proclamation, and a lame excuse for prohibitation. Let's remember that nobody said to us at this moment in time, we cannot speak about Jesus. It might feel like that. Nobody's actually said, Richard, whatever you do, don't go out there and speak about Jesus. Nobody's saying that to us at this moment in time. Who knows, a time may come. Some of you may be experiencing working in places where sharing your faith is actually something you're not able to do. You know, doctors and nurses are not allowed to share their faith with patients. Uh, In schools, some schools are uh, prescriptive about what you can say and what you can't say. But nobody's actually telling us. Nobody's threatening us. You know, if you go out and start speaking about Jesus, I'll do this, I'll do that. I think there's only one time in my Christian ministry so far when I've actually been threatened uh, by somebody. And uh, it was when we were running a, an open youth club. And uh, one of the neighbours was getting a, a little bit fed up of all these youngsters. And uh, one evening, he, he didn't actually grab me, but he kind of came up to me very aggressively. And he said, Richard, if you don't shut that youth club, I'm going to get some friends to come round and sort you out. Uh, and that's the closest I've got to being actually uh, threatened in any, in any sense in, in relationship to the gospel. You'd be pleased to know that he... It was a bit of a, a lame threat uh, because we carried on with the youth club and uh, he didn't actually get any friends to, to beat me up. So uh, I lived to tell the tale. Uh, but we're not on the threat. We can speak. And let's look for opportunities. Let's invite people to this baptismal service. Let's invite our friends and neighbours to come and see the difference that Jesus is making in people's lives. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.